0: Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're gonna talk about taking our time when covering breaking news stories, which might feel against your journalistic instincts. You may have already heard about slow journalism, a style of reporting that has emerged to cater for news audiences who feel overwhelmed by the news cycle. Something which we know is causing people to switch off and avoid the news altogether. One of the flag bearers of the slow news approach is Tortoise Media, a membership-based news startup which launched three years ago with a pledge to slow down and wise up. But if one thing hasn't slowed down in recent years, it's the news agenda. Three weeks ago, the longest serving British monarch, Queen Elizabeth II died newsrooms everywhere went into a frenzy. We're going to talk to the news editor of Tortoise, David Taylor, about the thinking behind its comparatively modest coverage of this event. The big question today is, if your audience need to hear one thing about a global news story, what should it be and how should you tell it? For Tortoise, the answer lies in podcasts and live discussions as a way of distilling all the need-to-know information of the day into manageable packages. We'll discuss all of that coming up, so don't go anywhere. David, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on the show.
1: And thanks for having me, Jake. It was great to be here.
0: Great to speak. Would you share with our audience a little known fact about yourself, please? I think I might
1: be the only journalist in recorded history to have left The Guardian twice. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you want me to expand on that, it was all very good natured on both occasions. But, um, yeah, I was working at The Guardian. until um, early 2010. And I was on the news desk there. And I got an offer from the Times to go and be head of news and run that newsroom. And it it really felt like a a massive opportunity that I couldn't turn down. So I left then. But then scrolling forward, um, I went back to the Guardian in the US in 2015. And I was sort of running the news operation there during the Trump Clinton election and the first sort of um, year and a half of Trump in the White House. And then uh, Tortoise came along and my old boss at the Times, James Harding, had had this notion that, you know, he, he wanted to see if he could do journalism differently if you slowed down and didn't do breaking news. And, and it was a kind of a crossroads moment for me. Do I stay with this amazing adventure in the US or do I have a crack at this new thing and uh and i took the plunge again so yeah there you go you
0: had to hand in your resignation letter twice interesting
1: for a second time yeah but you know still um obviously many times um a week or a month kind of look back and think oh god yeah they're still doing really good work aren't they <laughs> a little pang of regret sometimes but um but you know you gotta move forward
0: you can only be in one place at one time can't you Let's set the scene for a second. In the latest Reuters digital news report, nearly half of UK and US news consumers say they are selectively avoiding the news because it makes them feel bad. This is especially true for young people and avoidance of big, complex global topics. Let's fast forward to the death of Queen Elizabeth II three weeks ago, which brought on an avalanche of international and national news content. David could have commissioned 100 pieces on the story. Instead, Tortoise published a six-piece podcast series called The Second Elizabethan Age, containing all you need to know about the Queen's 70-year reign and how society has changed under her rule. The team worked on it earlier in the year, when they had an inkling that the late Queen's health was on the decline. They published two episodes up front, and the rest staggered in the days that followed. And that podcast series was downloaded 100,000 times during the mourning period alone. Tortoise also organised three live events in the form of their thinking sessions inside their newsroom, reflecting on the Queen's passing, the challenges for the new King Charles III, and how the public copes with grief. And using those insights, it also published, as standard, its daily Sensemaker email newsletter and Sensemaker audio, including an obituary and an analysis of the immediate issues around royal family finances and the new King's approach to climate change. Here's more from David on the topics that made the cut and why.
1: The way we go at um, our offer is to try to make sure that we have something to say every day, um, albeit in a in a slower, more sort of um, analytical fashion. But we have our newsletters like the Daily Sensemaker, where we know we're going to, we want to stay in Earth's orbit, you know, we don't want to just drift off and do wild esoteric things that have nothing to do with the national conversation that's going on. We knew that we would want to play in that space, that we would tell people crucial things and have perceptive um, opinions about what was about to unfold. Uh, And then, you know, the, the other... Significant thing that we do at Tortoise is our our live events, our thinkings, where you know we're very good at convening conversations around often quite challenging subjects. And with this, we felt well, let's open our newsroom up and let's have some conversations that that might help people see the events as they unfold in a different way. So roughly speaking, there you go, a daily output, some live events uh, and a big set piece podcast series. And and the kind of conversations I was having were, um, let's hold our nerve, let's not over commission.
0: David, a question that comes to mind is, had you been at The Guardian, for example, when their story hmm. broke or The Times, what would have been your response then to the story versus now at Autos? it really begins
1: with real estate you know um you've got a paper and a website to fill and you know your paper in particular you know exactly how many pages it might be 96 pages or 72 pages or whatever you've got all those page leads to get and you're gonna try and sort of build um the rhythm of a massive story like that where you know you you can see immediately how you compartmentalize things so you do the dusting down the obit, bit which has been getting refined for for years and years and so that's going to be a huge centerpiece you've probably always had plans for a you know 24 page supplement or something like that and so you, you you're going to be seeing this sort of half remembered thing is going to sort of land on your desk and you think like, well, is that the right picture? And is it now two years out of date and does it need refreshing? So I, I can imagine those newsrooms were immediately thinking, okay, well, what's our pullout look like? What shape is it in? Someone's getting a hold of that and making sure that all the decisions you made back then still feel good. And then, and then you're building a, you know, a website offering and a, um, and a newspaper that, that does justice to all of the angles. And that's an enormous effort by a lot of people, but it doesn't take very long. And it's, you know, with stories like this, it's, um, you know, you can rattle off all the things that are interesting um, in no time and and have great, you know, journalists at your disposal to bring them to bear. And when you're, you, you know, a, a newsroom like ours, you, you are big enough to um, cause trouble, but you're not... Um, big enough to cover everything and so you um you pick some pick some winners really and I I think for us it was it did feel quite straightforward to say look we've got this beautiful thing which um you know when people listen to it, it it's quite reflective and it's and it speaks about all of our lives not just you know the monarch and and it might just be a wonderful antidote, you know, to, to the kind of every cough and spit of like, you know, who's in the procession? Where did the Canadian Mounties get their horses from? You know, which world leaders are going on the bus? You know, all that stuff, which feels urgent because it's in the ether right now, but it's it's ephemeral, isn't it?
0: How much of what you covered was actually informed by your members and what they wanted?
1: That's probably where the um the thinkings came into play, so we had plans for a run of live conversations that week that we immediately cancelled because they didn't feel like they were the right things to be talking about and and then we resolved just to give ourselves a little bit of space and and in the after the weekend we in the second week of it all we we had these three conversations in our newsroom they were the moments really where i think people came into our newsroom and just gave insights that um, that informed our daily coverage so you know you'd find that um, we would host these conversations and then the following morning in our um, SenseMaker email the sort of nuggets that were coming from that and the really surprising thoughts we had one of our members um, happens to be um, a former equerry to Prince Charles, and he was in the newsroom on on the conversation about the challenges ahead for Charles, and he was just really thoughtful. Um, It opened up a new set of questions that we hadn't perhaps thought of.
0: It occurs to me that this conversation is not just about the quantity of stories, but also the speed at which they're published as well, because when you're in the thick of experiencing the news event, uh, as a consumer when that pile is increasingly building up and up and up it's harder to catch up on everything how did you think about that with the releases of the podcast in particular and how you staggered those episodes coming out yeah i think i think we felt um
1: we should meter them out over a course of several days because um f- firstly you know y- there was a there was a true tidal wave of coverage wasn't there um no one could hope to um absorb all of that even though even though the pace of it and the tone of it was kind of sonorous and and slow um as the sort of 10 days or so unfolded you couldn't hope to to read and listen to everything so so i think we just we thought we'd we'd sort of get it out into the into the world and and make people um hopefully aware that it existed and then and then meter it out over a over a course of about five days um you know they were only 20 minute episodes but they they add up to a
0: and that feels manageable doesn't it
1: yeah it it does and if you drop them all at once you know you can debate it i suppose people like to binge things but um yeah it feels like homework if you've got um you know two hours to crack through and and also honestly it was probably a sort of self-defense mechanism as well because i think what what i was anxious about was if you if you put it all out there in one go, um, we'll get itchy and the next day we're going to want to commission something else. And, and then a week down the line, we're going to look back and think, you know, we shouldn't have done that. It it wasn't, it didn't really add anything. It it was, it was fine, but it, it wasn't right. And so I think we just, it was a case of like, we know we've got something good. Let's do it. Well, let's, let's show it some love. And, um, and make it the centrepiece of what we do.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a week on from, I suppose, the news, are you justified with that decision? Have you seen great engagement and impact with with what you've put out?
1: Yes, with that podcast, we put it out on its own um, feed on, you know, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you could see it up there. Um, and then we also made use of the weekly investigative podcast show we do the slow newscast we put it in that channel as well and so that you know habitually gets sort of tens of thousands of, of listeners every week and and so that audience picked it up and so it was it was getting um a really good audience um you know around the world in, in different forms but the truth is it, it it's hard to build a podcast from scratch. You know, you, you need to seed it. Um, so, so, you know, we have to be realistic about how much impact you can have, but you kind of hope with something like that, it's got a bit of longevity and that people will keep finding it. And when they do, you know, it's, it's a nice place to be for a couple of hours.
0: Tortoise launched three and a half years ago following successful crowdfunding on a pledge to take a slower, harder look at the new cycle. Since then, they have experimented with long reads, data visualisation, and picture essays. But what has really clicked with their audience and has proved the purest expression of slow journalism has been podcasts. At the start of the year, Tortoise secured a £10 million investment to continue funding its membership model of news, with events and podcasts at the heart of their coverage. The Set Piece podcast on the Queen's passing is compelling proof of the new firepower they have in the audio department, allowing even slow journalism to move at speed. It's also an evergreen product, David says, that listeners can always return to.
1: Once we started experimenting with audio, we realised quite quickly that, that I think there was genuinely an opening in, let's face it, what is a very crowded and dynamic media landscape in the uk mm-hmm. nevertheless there was a there was a gap that was for um really compelling narrative storytelling with a investigative spine and i think that's how we see our approach to audio and then it takes multiple forms you know so we have as we talked about the slow newscast which comes out once a week it's it's available um you know to our members on a monday and it kind of goes off platform for free on a thursday so that it can reach a, a wider audience and and it always is a it, the ambition is to tell someone's story in a way that has a investigative um, heart to it and it helps you make sense of the forces shaping the world and over and above that you know we um we had a a massive success last year with a multi-parter called Sweet Bobby which was this um investigation into uh, a really mind-blowing and horrifying catfishing um fraud that was perpetrated on someone over 10 years and it I think it launched last November and you know it, it just kept on rolling around the world it was like you know the number one podcast in America in Australia uh, and it just you know racked up millions of downloads And it made us realise, well, okay, there is a great appetite for very well-told, rich, multi-part stories. Mm.
0: Whether it's the Queen's passing, whether it's COVID or the Ukraine war, where does slow journalism belong in these global breaking news stories? What have you learned?
1: Yeah, I, I think we've learned that you have to avoid the herd instinct. You know, you can't just chase the same story as everybody else but you must find compelling ways of getting involved and making sense of of what's happening. So I I think, you know, we've, we've learned, I think, that there is an appetite in spite of that switch off from the depressing news kind of trend. There is an appetite for politics and there is an appetite for difficult and depressing stories like the war in Ukraine. You just have to go at them in a rich way. And so I think Actually, some of our biggest successes in podcasts have been um on domestic politics in the u k the one the one we did um about Lebedev and his peerage it was which was called Lord of siberia and it really just as you unpeeled it it was it, it was just a story that went everywhere you know it was about Boris Johnson getting the power using the the might of the evening standard in London when he was going for mayor grace and favor um you know kickbacks with a seat in the lords for the son of a former kgb agent who spoke to all of that sort of murky russian investment in london that had, you know you just have to say you know is a is a, a an erosion of british democracy and it was all there in plain sight no one was covering that story and then in ukraine you know we did um a really um popular episode called russian warship go Fuck yourself which was you know that um that clarion cry in the early days of the war and and the telling of that amazing bit of um online resistance so i think these are the things that you you can spot the you can spot the issue and then you have to find the human story to um uh, to bring it to life and hopefully at the end of it you've you've ended up with something that is helping people make sense of the world and 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 in response to that sort of cry from the heart of like i don't know what to do with this information when you've given it to me you can do something with this you can you can be an engaged citizen
0: mm. final final question then for me is for any news editors maybe listening in who share your background in legacy traditional news How have you acquainted yourself with this more slow journalism news judgment? What's your what's your advice there for maybe others looking to make that transition?
1: So I was at Guardian US before I came to Tortoise and I was running the news operation in America in that crazy time uh, around the Trump election. And, And I came to think, you know, like a modern newsroom has to run at three speeds at once. You have to be right now doing breaking news. You have to be the best you can be the next day and by extension the rest of the week in in making sense and providing context. And then you have to remember to pay attention to the long-range things that define you. And it's so easy to get consumed by the breaking news, the thing that's just happened, and forget about the last one because it's it's hard and it takes time and resource.
0: And easy to push it to the back burner as well.
1: Yeah, and, and there aren't many newsrooms left around the world that can do all of those three things well. And, it, and, and I would say, although, you know, I've turned my back on breaking news, I think it's incredibly important to do it well. It has to be done with rigour and with authority and, and crucially with context. You know, you can't give especially politicians a free hit. You can't just credulously report what they just tweeted and have no context because you're not doing anyone a, a service apart from you know the people who are people who are trying to play you. So so yes, I, I think modern newsroom, three speeds at once. And I've come to sort of the view that you know there can be different speeds of slow as well. So you better you better not drift off into some wild orbit. I mean, imagine if we were doing the finest piece that had ever been done about falconry on the day that the queen died and that was our only offer to the world you know you can't be so esoteric you have to stay in earth's orbit and so i think it's great that we have our daily newsletters that kind of allow us to be slow on the day then you can be slow in the week uh, and really um you know come with your regular expectations for your audience and then you just like send some hairs running which is you know maybe the opposite of what people might think we should be as tortoises. But um yeah, sense just chase some things, see where they take you, and remember that, you know, some of the best journalism really takes a long time. So I, I think people just have to um not be seduced by the thing that just happened and make the mistake that the thing that just happened is the most important thing because it usually isn't it's usually just like something that just blew up in your
0: face well you, you've proved that slow journalism can move at speed as well so david this has um, been a great conversation thank you so much for your time and insights today
1: thanks jake i really appreciate it
0: quite a bit to take on board here but my biggest takeaway is that at a time when news audiences are avoiding the biggest news topics Giving them less to catch up on could be the answer. David says that news coverage can feel like homework in how quickly it can pile up, and that can cause people to switch off. Having one all-you-need-to-know set-piece product, be that podcasts, events, or whatever else, is a self-contained way to allow your audience to digest the news on their terms without feeling like they're missing out. But how did your newsroom report on the Queen's death? We want to hear about other strategies to cover breaking news in a manageable way for news audiences. DM or tweet me at Journalism or the team at journalism.co.uk at journalismnews. If you'd like to feature on the show, or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm with jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.